Thanks, team. Well, we're in the middle of this fast, and today we're going to be jumping now, looking into the next week on relational breakthrough or breakthrough in relationships. And um, if you're wondering what are we doing for the fast or why do we fast, um, the Bible calls us actually to fast a number of times, and, and there's a booklet that we have online. If you haven't seen that, you can get onto our website and download it, and it tells you all about what a fast is. But essentially what it is is this moment where God calls his people to, to in a special way, specific way, for a season of time, say, God, we need you to move. We need you to move. We're dependent on you, and, and there's seasons where that happens. And... Um, so we're doing that, um, and, you know, we talk about at this church, you know, we could, there's, you know, it doesn't matter how big your budget is, how big your staff team, your big your building team is, no matter how big your church is, no, it just isn't, it doesn't do what only God can do. All that stuff can't bring transformation of the heart. It just can't. And so when we fast and we pray, what we're saying is, look, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. Big difference. And so that's what we're asking God to do, and you're hearing some of these stories of what God has already been doing, and there's more, more stories, and you'll hear another one here towards the end of my message, but that's why we're praying. And so this week, we're shifting gears towards relationships. What kind of relationships? Well, the ones that are broken, the ones we have a fight with, a quarrel with, and I've yet to meet anyone except for maybe a child who doesn't have relationships that are broken, except the child probably doesn't have much say in it. I imagine they're on the receiving end of some of that train wreck, but we're in James, and James in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, he's been writing to a group of churches that are in the middle of relational brokenness. The church is a mess. In chapter 1, he's talking to them and writing about the, this double-mindedness and, and how they're, they're quick to speak, they're quick to anger, they're all religious on the outside, but they're just utterly corrupt, evil on the inside. Talks in chapter 2 how people in the church were all wrapped up in their cultural status and all their appearances and, and making sure that they were on the top. And, and, and they would literally go to people and, and tear them down who were in the church. Make them feel less than, whether verbally right through their face or just by actions. Chapter 3, we read how James just went off on the tongue and how they're using their tongue to destroy each other literally set people on fire with the fires from hell. Jealousy, ambition, all this stuff. And these are small churches. You, you can't get away from that. I mean, can you imagine coming to church? It's hard enough a church this size. Remember, small church, when you go in and you see them, you have to rub shoulders with them, and you're always thinking about this, or at least people like me and maybe many of you, you're staying up the night before going, oh, no, well, I'm going to go in this entrance so I don't see them on that entrance, Right? I'm going to go on this side because I know they always sit back there, so I'll sit over here. And Well, what if they say this? And, and then you start obsessing, and you get on the merry Anybody get on the merry-go-round? You start having these obsessive thoughts all night long. You can't sleep. Well, if they say this, then I'm going to say this. No, 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 I won't say it that way. I'm going to say it like this. No, that doesn't work because then they're going to come back. But, right? 
Or if they do this, I'm going to do that. And you start having all these obsessive thoughts about all these conflicts that you'll never have. Conversations you'll never have. Actions that will never happen. But that's what conflict does. It eats us alive. And then on the other side, we're, we're obsessing over, I can't believe they say that. And we just keep replaying all the stuff that they've done. Right? All the stuff that they said. Years and years and years. And it piles up. And bitterness. And anger. And it's just right under the surface ready to blow. And James writes this. You know what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, don't you know the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Let's just stop right there. I never knew this passage existed and it, and it passes on, but James is summarizing his thoughts, and I think it's more, it's God's thoughts on why all of this is happening. And he says, it's because of your passions. Other translations have desires. If you go back and read the word in the Greek, what he actually wrote down, it's the word we get for hedonism. I don't know how you say it outside of hedonism. It's supposed to be hedon or hedon. I don't know. Uh, hedonism. He's like, the philosophy that says my passions and my desires are the most important thing and really it's a way of life that's above God. And in fact, it becomes God. Live for yourself. I mean, how much do we hear that in our culture? Live for what feels good. Live for what you desire. Live for what your passions, oh, it sounds all good. And the funny thing about it is Desires and passions are actually given by God, so there's nothing wrong with them inherently. It's when we make those God. And he's saying, that's what you guys have done. Your passions are driving you. Your desires are driving you. You're hedonists. It's a way of life for you guys. And so what happens when we go to that direction? He says this. Well, this is what ends up happening. You desire... And don't have, so you murder, you kill. Now, had somebody killed somebody in the church? I don't know. Was there a murderer in the church that killed somebody outside of the church? I, I don't know. It could happen. It's very possible. There's another type of murder Jesus talks about where it's the murder in our hearts. We don't kill them outside, literally, physically, in their life. But we're doing everything short of that. Trying to destroy them trying to kill them in really clean ways. And so we start to covet because it's the desires, right? So we don't have it. We can't obtain it. So we start fighting and grabbing and, uh, and destroying people to get what we want because our desires are driving us. So these desires, this hedonism, living for passions, living for desires, it first affects our own relationships and those we know, and we will kill people for it. 
We'll fight for it. We'll quarrel for it. What's our rights and our desires? First, it does that. Second, it destroys our prayer life. You don't have because you don't ask. You, don't, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's interesting that when you start to live this way, it, it destroys your prayer life. We don't have because you don't ask. Well, why? We're not going to ask because we know if we're really in our right mind or deep down inside that war, he says, it's going on inside. We know why we're not asking because he's not going to give it to us because it's all about us. He's not going to give that to us. Or if we're brazen enough to ask him, we're not going to get it. And then we, you know, how many times have you heard people rail and maybe us in this room have done this when God doesn't give us what we want? We get all mad and angry. And God's saying, you're asking it. It's all about you. It's all about you. You haven't even asked me. You just want. I'm your little whatever, sugar daddy in the sky. Give you what you want. God doesn't answer those prayers. So our prayer life is destroyed. Third thing it does is it betrays our relationship to God. He says this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is harsh language and I know this could be painful for some of you, and I, I'm aware of that as I'm writing this because, ugh, oh, that's such a strong word. You adulterous people. He's saying, you're cheating on me. You're cheating on me. We're, we're married. You're, you're going out and you're sleeping with, with other people, you're, you're cheating on me. You're sleeping with this desire. You're sleeping with that desire. If you read in Jeremiah over and over again, he just uh, calls Jer Jerusalem and actually the, the people of Judah. He says, this is the southern kingdom. At that point, he's like, you guys, you, you guys are cheating on me. You'll, you'll sleep with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Having affairs on me. all because of what you want and your desires. And this is God's heart, he says. He yearns. Or do you suppose that it's no, to no purpose? The scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, that he has made to dwell in us. I mean, he's saying, don't you know what this does to my heart? Like, I'm in you. I'm seeing this happen. You're dragging me with you to all this. You don't think I'm jealous? You don't think this breaks my heart? James says, this is what's causing conflicts, and this is what it's doing to you guys. It's destroying your relationships. It's completely shut down your prayer life. And it's completely broken your relationship to God. And I'm still jealous for you. I love that. I'm still jealous for you. I haven't walked away. I'm not filing for a divorce. I'm jealous. I want you. 
I love that. Like, God's not done. God's not written us off. He's saying, I'm still jealous. I still want you. And he goes, but he gives more grace. That's just, who does that? We're off cheating, and he still says, I, I want you. You're mine. And what James writes next is this famous passage of repentance. And what I never realized, I always thought this is, oh, this is how you get back with God. I never realized this passage is actually in the middle of conflict relationally. And it is a passage, it is a prescription, as much as we've talked about what do you want for physical healing, this is a prescription for relational healing. That's the context. Quarrels and fights, destruction everywhere, how do you get that healed? This. And, and I wish, you, you, when you look at just what is out there and all the, the counseling schools and psychology schools, I'm like, why doesn't anybody ever just start with this? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Can you imagine your intake interview and a counselor saying this? Look, this is what's going to happen. You want healing? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is what heals relationships. Submit to God. His way, no longer ours. It's probably one of the hardest things to do because once you submit him to him, now you're saying your desires and your passions and all that's ruling your life, it has to come under. And all those feelings and all that whatever has to come underneath him. That's so hard. I'm not God. I'm not calling the shots. That's submission. In fact, I've broken laws. I've, I've actually cheated on God. I've destroyed people. I've... And then you receive. What's so scary about it is because as soon as you admit you're wrong, then you open yourself up to consequences. As long as we're not wrong, we don't have to suffer anything, right? Because it's not us. But as soon as you say, I'm wrong, you're saying, I'll take the consequences. And that's so scary. Because then you're going to sit there in the middle of, of it and, and, and you're going to see the pain you've caused people. You're going to see the pain you've caused God. You're going to see the broken prayer life, all of it. This goes for all of us. He says, submit to God. Submit yourselves to the Lord. He goes on and he says, resist the devil. This is like the third time he has specifically mentioned Satan in this letter. And he says, resist him, which I don't know whether you've ever thought about that. And we talk about this at this church quite often because we're in this battle. 
He says, submit to God, resist Satan. So there's a piece of what is going on that is satanic. It is demonic. And he's saying, resist him. In the name of Christ, I mean, Jesus, we saw him. He quoted scripture out loud. He re, it says he rebuked Satan. He would talk to demons and command them to leave. He gave the disciples, uh, the early church, power and authority that is still being passed on today. And he taught them. He says, this is what you're going to do. You're going you're gonna to tell them to go in the name of Christ. You're going to set people free from sin, and, and you're going to see them leave. Tell them to go. Resist Satan and Satan, I love it, can be resisted. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And that's the last thing you want to do when you feel all this guilt and shame. You want to feel isolated. No, I, no, 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 I can't, I can't come near. I don't deserve to. I'm unworthy. I'm whatever. I'm angry. I'm so angry at what's happened, right? God, like, you let this happen to me. Come near. Come near, and I love that. Draw near to God, and he will what? Draw near to you. He will draw near. It's like when we just start to move, he's right there. He hasn't left. And the rest of these verses talk about this breaking of sin in our lives. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched. Mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves again. This is so hard to humble ourselves in this way, to, to grieve, to, to, to weep, to be broken. I think this is a lot of the reason why we don't see relationships restored. Because to admit that I'm part of the problem is so difficult. To go to someone and say, I've done evil things to you. I, I hurt you. I'm so sorry. It's so difficult. And to do that in front of the Lord is difficult. There are seasons where mourning and grieving and weeping is so appropriate as we start to realize what we have done. I've seen a lot of people healed in this moment of confession. I have seen over and over and over again marriages restored when spouses confess to each other, I've sinned and I am so sorry. I've seen families healed, relationships with parents or siblings. And just in case there was still anyone holding out, justifying themselves, he ends with this statement, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And why does he come back? He's just coming back because people have destroyed each other over and over again with each other, their words. And he's like, what are you doing? 
you slander, you stand over someone, you say, you're this and you're that and you're, he's like, you judge the law. What does that mean? It, it, well, the law he just was talking about in chapter two, that royal law of God, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. That's the royal law, right? And he's saying, you're judging that law and saying, in a essence, well, that's a dumb law. I actually know better. What a, what a horrible law. That's a lame, that law doesn't work on planet earth. Let me tell you the right law to do. It's the law of your passions. It's the law of what you feel is right. And so we literally saying, God, you don't know what you're talking about. And he goes on to say, are, are you really going to play God then? You're God? Job did that one time, and God let him have it. He didn't defend God. It says he got self-righteous, and God said, brace yourself like a man. I'm about ready to unload on you. We're going to pray for a breakthrough in relationships this week. And if you're praying for someone that you're in conflict with, it starts first with us drawing near to God, humbling ourselves before him. It, it means giving up our rights. It means asking forgiveness. It means setting aside what we feel is right, our desires, our passions, and bringing them under the throne and saying, God, your law is actually better. I don't know better than you. Your law is good. I submit. It means, uh, Jesus said, if somebody asks you to carry their stuff a mile, your enemy, you take it two miles. If they ask for your shoes, you give them also your coat. And it's, it's unequal. It's unfair. And that's the economy of the kingdom of God. To go beyond. I would imagine this all, we all have conflicts. I have them. Many of I've seen God heal. There's a couple that are lasting for years. I know it always takes two, and it gets complex. I know some of you are are in the middle of a relationship or out of a relationship where there is no way to reconcile because there's been physical abuse or emotional abuse and manipulation. I, I get complexities, I get boundaries, so I, I get all that. Um, but I think, I wonder how many of us, Elijah prayed, it didn't rain for three years, and then he prayed and it rained. I wonder how many of us have given up hope that we'd ever see reconciliation. Like, it's impossible. That would never happen. No way on planet Earth could I ever, ever see that person do this. You feel like that? I had someone who was talking to, and they just said, 
I'm realizing I've been praying for God to send someone to this person I'm in conflict with. Someone else to help. I don't want to be the person. Boy, sign me up. Lord, would you send somebody else to set them straight? Because I sure don't want to anymore. Or you're in the middle of it and you know they won't forgive you because you've done the unforgivable and you won't ever receive forgiveness. Say, so why pray anymore? Why ask anymore? Because that's never going to get healed. Anybody given up? Why don't you hear a story uh, of uh, someone in our church just happened here in the last four weeks? The story of what God can do the kind of breakthrough that he brings when people submit themselves to God and humble themselves and grieve, mourn and wail and wait for him to lift them up. This is Brian. Everybody say hi to Brian. Good morning, family. Take it away. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Um, so to kind of back up and fill you on the whole story, my wife and I were having some marital issues. Um, it, we came to the point where we actually separated for a short period of time. Um, only through the power of God, the power of prayer, um, power of fasting, were we able to come back together and reconcile and forgive each other for everything that had gone on for five years in our, in our marriage. And there was a lot of people praying here, and I know that, and I want to thank you all for that. Um, <clears throat> So when we reconciled, A, today is, um, you know, we have never been closer to God and closer to each other, and it's what a marriage should be. And um, today is actually our six-year anniversary. Thank you. Um, so through all this, we were talking and we decided that we should go to each other's parents and also apologize and ask for forgiveness. And we prayed about this and we knew we could only do our part and in, but that's the part we had to do. So Brittany and I first went to her parents' house and, and we prayed before we went and they're, they're very strong believers and I will say it went very well. And um, then we came to my parents. Um, Brittany had talked to my father prior and so they were already on good terms and um, my mother definitely believes in God but she doesn't have a really strong relationship with him so we were praying real hard about how this was going to go well it didn't go well um, Brittany did what she was supposed to do said what she was supposed to say and she just wasn't ready to accept that and forgive her it actually got to the point where it was better off that we just left so we did left the house, um, let me back up, so we had church on Sunday, we went right after church, <clears throat> had the conversation. About two hours later, I get a phone call from my mom, and she was still in the same spot that she was in, uh, very angry and not ready to forgive. Ended that conversation, and so the day goes on, so now it's about seven, eight o'clock at night, and my phone's ringing, and I'm looking at it, it's my mom, and. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to answer it. You know, it's been a long day. I just don't want to get back into that again. Rings again. I don't answer it. And then my dad sends me a text, answer your phone. So, 
like, okay, dad's texting me, I better answer my phone. <laughs> so call, and instantly, I'm outside at this point. Um, first nice day we had, pretty much, and I instantly could tell there's something different from my mom's voice. So I, knowing this, I go inside, Brittany's in the kitchen, I kind of tell her to shh, and I put it on speakerphone. And you could just hear the excitement in my mom's voice. So about seven, right before she called me, seven, eight o'clock, like I said, they get a knock at the door, and it's an elderly couple, about 75 years old, and they give her a pamphlet. Um, I will say that, I'm not gonna say the name of the church, but people from this church don't go door to door. Um, it just doesn't happen. Um, we've, I've actually asked family that go there, friends that go there, and they have no idea who these people are, and they've never heard of going door to door, you know, 75 years old, seven o'clock at night. So my mom sits down, my dad comes in and kind of takes over the conversation with the, with the couple at the door. My mom sits down and starts reading what they gave her. She reads it again, she starts tearing up. She goes back in the bedroom and just completely loses it and is crying and bawling. The pamphlet is all about forgiveness. So all in one day, this is happening. So my mom calls, and now we're on speakerphone and listening, and she's just bawling in excitement and just saying, I forgive you, I forgive, I forgive her, I forgive her, I forgive her. And kept saying, that, you know, this is God. This is God, mm -hmm. Brian, this is God. I truly believe that this is God. And by this time, Brittany's bawling, I'm bawling, we're all bawling. <laughs> and I mean, here's an answer prayer. We've been praying for my mother. Um, We've been praying about the situation. We've been praying for, you know, the forgiveness. And, you know, and here it is right in front of us. Um, and it was, it was beautiful. She, uh, my mother then said this, I forgot to say this first time, that since we don't know who it was and no one knows who it was, like she actually told me, she's like, Brian, you know, I think they're angels. Yeah. And um, I'm gonna, I told her, I'm not going to say no to that. So, <laughs> um, yeah. so yeah, there you go. How about it, huh? Thanks, man. I want you to listen to James again, those first verses. I want you to hear it in the positive. If we're submitted to God, listen to how these things go. You desire what God desires, so we love. We bless and receive, so we share and celebrate. We have because we ask. We ask and receive because we ask rightly to spend it on his glory and the royal law of love. They have because they asked. It, that's what, I mean, who puts that together? Years, all this, all the stuff that's gone on, they go over on one day in an afternoon, ask, and they know it's from God. They ask for forgiveness, and God says, I'll give you forgiveness. I'm going to send an elderly couple to come bring forgiveness to a home that they've never been to, a door they've never knocked on, to give a pamphlet that they've never seen about forgiveness. You don't think God wants this more than you? 
He wants breakthrough in relationships more than you and I could ever imagine. How about we ask this week? Let's do some asking. How about we are the ones, we start with us. I love how he said it. We did our part. It's like, that's it, right? He said it way better than I did. We did our part. We, we know what we had to do, and we did our part. So ask God, what's my part? I'll own it. And then say, Lord, bring it. Bring reconciliation. Bring restoration in relationships. I'm asking you, we're as a staff, elders, we've, we've looked at this. We're, we're wanting this church to pray for this. Jesus says, you will be known by my love. And what we're looking for is this next week is stories of breakthrough, of forgiveness and healing and restoration and reconciliation. You may have somebody on your mind. It may be you. It, it may, I'm not even going to say what it is because you know the fights you're in, you know the quarrels you're having, um, your part, not your part, I don't know. And maybe you're going to pray for someone else who is in the middle of it. But take an hour this week. You don't even have to just keep it to an hour, by the way. It can be beyond that. But what if we took an hour this week and fasted from whatever, food or whatever, and said, Lord, would you hear us? Hear me on this. I want a breakthrough. Let me pray.